Hello, Mount Pleasant family. I'm so glad that you are watching online with us today. Thank you for joining us, no matter when you're watching this or where you're watching it from. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us today. My name is Matt Pineda, and I work with the high school students here, primarily at the church. But I'm excited to share with you today as we get to close out another year. Well, not just any other year, right? What a year this has been. We've talked a lot about the struggles and the difficulties that this year has brought, but we're all kind of looking forward to maybe a fresh start as we head into a new year. So let me ask you a question as we begin this. Here's, it. Here's the question. What are you focusing on? Now, I don't know how you would answer that. Maybe if you took a second just to, to think about that question for a minute, maybe even right now, what are you focusing on? Are you kind of like half focused on this video, no matter what's going on in your living room or wherever you're watching this? Is it hard to uh, give complete attention? But think maybe bigger picture, right? Like in your life, what would you say? What are you focusing on? Would you take a second just to think about that for a minute? Now, before we go any further, I want to show you uh, a very interesting video clip. So check this out. Clearly, somebody in this room murdered Lord Smythe, who, at precisely 3.34 this afternoon, was brutally bludgeoned to death with a blunt instrument. I want each of you to tell me your whereabouts at precisely the time that this dastardly deed took place. I was polishing the brass in the master bedroom. I was buttering his lordship's scones below stairs, sir. I was planting my petunias in the potting shed. Constable, arrest Lady Smythe. But, but how did you know? Madam, as any horticulturist will tell you, one does not plant petunias until May is out. Take her away. Sorry, madam. It's just a matter of observation. The real question is how observant were you? Uh, action. Clearly, somebody in this room murdered Lord Smythe, who, at precisely 3.34 this afternoon, was brutally bludgeoned to death with a blunt instrument. I want each of you to tell me your whereabouts at precisely the time that this dastardly deed took place. I was polishing the brass in the master bedroom. I was buttering his lordship's scones below stairs, sir. Why, I was planting my petunias in the potting shed. Constable, arrest Lady Smythe. It's easy to miss something that you're not looking for, isn't it? I, I imagine that many of you are going to go back and maybe re-watch that video and try to look and find how exactly it was that you missed all those small little details changing and maybe how you didn't notice those things. Well, I can tell you why. I can tell you the reason why you didn't notice most of those things or any of them. It's because you weren't focused on those things. You were probably focused on something else, maybe something more important, the main characters, the plot, the story, the mystery, what was said, what was happening. You weren't focused on all the other things. You see, focus is an important part of any person's life. But for followers of Jesus, Staying focused on the right things is what leads us to true discipleship. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about living a focused life, what that looks like. And to do that, I want to read to you a passage from Philippians chapter 3. 
So I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at and how you're watching this, is just to find something to turn to that passage in Philippians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible with you, a phone, a tablet, I'd really love for you to be able to interact and follow along in the text as we go through this together. Philippians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It was to the church at Philippi. You know, most scholars believe that Paul was a prisoner at Rome when he wrote this, but some people believe he was a prisoner in either Ephesus or Caesarea. Either way, we know that Paul was in chains. He was a prisoner when he penned this letter. And the city of Philippi was an historic city. Now, it wasn't a very big metropolis, but it had some recent history that gave it an important part in the Roman Empire. It was refounded by Philip II. That was Alexander the Great's father. In 357 BC, he gave the city a, a name after himself. It was called Philip's City. That's what it means. But Philippi was best known, probably is best known, for the Battle of Philippi, which happened in 42 BC. The imperial armies of Mark Antony and Octavian defeated the Republican generals Brutus and Cassius. Those were two uh, Roman senators that were responsible for the death of Julius Caesar. And when Mark Antony and Octavian won this battle, it opened the way for the emergence of the Roman Empire under the rule of Augustus. And that is the Roman Empire that we're familiar with in the New Testament during the time of Jesus and the apostles. And so this city, this church within this city was surrounded by many things that were aiming to grab their allegiance, their attention, their focus away from other things. And so Paul writes to them as a way to convey his personal pursuit of knowing Christ and to inspire them. With all that said, I want to read our text together. It's Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 16. Paul says this, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. All right, well, thanks for following along with me there. What I want to do is unpack this text and talk about some specific things that each of us should be focused on, especially as we head into a fresh start. So here's the first idea. Number one is that we need to be focused on a person. Probably the most important thing that any of us can do as we move forward in our faith is to focus on Christ. Focus on him more. And let's be honest, there's a lot of things in our life that try to pull us away from focusing on Christ. A lot of good things in this world, whether it's our work or our families or entertainment or whatever it is, there's a lot of things that try to distract us from our relationship with Jesus. But focusing on Christ is vital for each of us. Paul said this at the beginning of our text, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Now, 
That's such a simple statement, but it has profound meaning. This, this phrase, to know, is one single Greek word, and it's this word, genosiko. It means to know, just like it's translated, but especially through personal experience or firsthand acquaintance. So that's different than just knowing something or knowing about someone, right? I know a lot about certain things. My, my nephew, Braxton, he says that he knows a lot about zombies, right? He's really into zombies. He talks about them. He pretends that they're in the basement. He has battles with them. One day he mixed up this special magic drink that would protect him against the zombies. He's six, by the way. And uh, so he knows about zombies, right? He thinks he does, but he doesn't know zombies. You know, you know why, right? You know the reason why. It's because he's never met a zombie. He's never had an experience with a zombie. He's never seen a zombie. His knowledge of zombies is, is secondary. It's not personal. It's, not, it's just an understanding based on things that he's learned. Now, what Paul is talking about here is a real, a personal, a firsthand experience with Christ, of, of knowing Christ, not information, not, not knowledge, a relationship. He says, I want to know, genosiko, to know personally. I want to know Christ. Now, Paul wasn't any different than any of us, right? He didn't, he didn't spend time with Jesus. He w- wasn't like the other disciples. He didn't, his relationship with Jesus is not very much different than ours. But we all have to get to this place where we want to know Christ personally. Not facts, not, not scriptures about him. We know him personally from a relationship with him, through prayer, through meditation, a real, genuine, personal relationship with Jesus. This is the real Christianity. And so, so many people get this messed up. They, they think that being a Christian is about going to church or right living. And while those are certainly things that are going to happen and that, that those are good things, that's not what Jesus came to bring us. He wants all of us. He wants me. He wants, he wants you to have a personal experience with him. One that's real, one that you can feel, one that, one that you care about, one that means something to you. Paul said this a few verses earlier in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. If you don't have that, if you don't believe that you have that, then you are probably stuck in a place that you don't or are supposed to be. This is not what Jesus has brought you. He, he wants you to be loving and growing and knowing him more and more as you grow in your faith. He clarifies what he means in our text. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Yes, I, I want to know Christ, I want to know the power of his resurrection, but also participation in his suffering. This is an all-encompassing knowing Christ, right? This isn't just, uh, I want to know Christ to be on the good side of Christ, or I just want the good things. This is what I want all of you, Jesus. I want the resurrection and the suffering. I want the good and the bad. This is an all-encompassing knowing Jesus. And if we're going to move forward, 
to be followers of God, then we've got to begin focusing on Christ in all areas of our life. It's not easy to do. But church, there's really nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important than your relationship with Jesus. Learning how to focus first and foremost on Christ in your life. When you focus on Christ, your focus on the other things in your life begins to change. Think about that video that we watched at the beginning, right? Uh, The reason that you didn't notice all the changes was because you were probably focused on the main characters. You were focused on what they were saying and what they were doing and and what was going on with them. They were the main uh, focus of your attention and their appearance barely changed, right? And so because you were focused on them, you didn't notice all the other changes happening around that room. You were focused on the most important thing. This is exactly what it looks like and what it means to focus on Jesus in your life. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. When we focus on Jesus, he's constant. He never changes. And when we focus on him, it changes what matters to us. Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, when our focus is Christ, then all the other things in our mirror begins to be focused around what is truly important. I love what this does in my life because it makes the most important things the most important things. So how do we do that, right? We talk about why we're supposed to do this. How do we do this? How do we focus more on Christ? Let me quickly give you three ideas, three practical ways to do this. Number one, start your day with Jesus. In any way, it doesn't matter. Reading your Bible, praying in the shower, meditating on your drive to work with your eyes open, obviously, but you know, in any way that you can find, you figure it out, but learn how to somehow, some way, start your day with Jesus and see how it changes the rest of your day. If you've never done this, if, you, if you're a Christian, if you've never tried to figure out how to begin your day in some way with Jesus, you've got to do this. Start your day with Jesus and see how your focus is more aligned on him. Number two is to get a visual to help you. I'm a fan of printing things out and having them in front of you. I want to encourage you to put something in front of you to remind you of Christ, whether it's a, a scripture or a quote in your office or change the background on your phone screen so that you see that every time you take out your phone or a post-it note in your car. It doesn't matter, but find something that can be in front of your eyes to get a visual to remind you to come back to center, to be focused on Jesus, to have him be the center of your attention at some point. If you can do this, if you could get something to help you, to remind you that you see often, it could change what you focus on. Here's the third idea. Talk about Jesus. And this is the one thing that I think so many Christians just, we just don't do. We just don't do this. We don't spend time talking about Jesus. We do all the other things. We do all the religious things, but we need to start talking about Jesus. Jesus. And if you can find a way to do that normally, I think it's going to change you. Find someone in your house or a friend that you can talk to on the phone or text with or 
uh, someone, anyone, that, that when you can begin talking about how Jesus is a part of your day, and then you listen to them talk about how Jesus was a part of their day, you can begin to make talking about Jesus normal, and all of a sudden, your focus, how you, how you view Christ, it changes. I just want to encourage you with those three ways. Start your day with Jesus, right? Get a visual and start talking about him with someone regularly. And all of these things help you focus on Christ more in your life. I believe that focusing on Christ is our ultimate goal. But Paul says there are other things that we need to pay attention to as well. So in addition to focusing on a person, we need to be focused on a prize. Number two, focused on a prize. Look how he continues in our text, starting in verse 12. He says, Not that I've already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, there's actually a lot that we could talk about within those verses, but what I really want to do is dial in on that phrase, I press on. He says, I press on to take hold. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Paul was focused. He was focused on a prize or, or, or goal. What was that goal? To be with Christ. Paul, at this point in his life, he was a prisoner. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been uh, abused. Uh, he's been kicked out of places. He's been taken captive for preaching Jesus. And who knows what else has been, to, been done to him since he's been a prisoner. But his attitude is to focus on a prize that he will one day be reunited with Jesus. This phrase, press on, in the Greek is this word, dioko. It means to aggressively chase, like a hunter pursuing a catch. It's used in the positive sense, like I earnestly pursue something. It's also used in the negative sense, like I zealously persecute something, right? And so, but either way, either way, it's, it's a pursuit with all effort. This is the word that Paul uses. This focus on the prize is aggressive. And if we're going to be this type of person, here's how this works. Here's how we accomplish that. It means that we have to have an eternal perspective. Okay? We have to have an eternal perspective. Paul was forgetting what was behind him and straining towards what is ahead. Forgetting what was behind and straining towards what is ahead. He, he always had this perspective that there is more to this world. And he aggressively was focused on the prize. Paul said at the beginning of this letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, that's this idea that Paul's saying for, for to me, to personally, for Paul, to live is Christ. Because if I live, then I'm going to preach Jesus and it's going to be better for everybody. But if I die, then it's better for me because I, I get to gain Christ. I get to be with Christ. That's an eternal perspective. That's valuing your eternal dwelling over your current life. And when you have an eternal perspective, everything, and I mean everything in your life, can change. Now, earlier this year, uh, 
for the first time, my wife and I, we took our kids to Florida. We drove, we, for the first time, we drove to Florida. We've never done that. They were three and four years old at the time, and, and it was going to be a 16-hour drive to get where we were going. Now, we decided that we would drive straight through, and our kids, they were so excited. They loved getting to go to Florida, especially after the winter, and they were just pumped uh, to go down there. So we get everything packed up, but we had to explain to them that this was going to be a little bit different, right? We weren't getting on an airplane, and we're going to be in the car, and it was going to take a little bit longer than normal, but they didn't care, right? They didn't care. They were excited. They knew we were going. They were excited to go to Florida, and so we leave. We got everything loaded up, and we start heading down south, and we're on our way, and we get to Interstate 65, right outside of Greenwood, and that's when we got the very first question coming from the back seat, right? Are we almost to Florida yet? <laughs> my, my wife and I, we looked at each other, and we smiled, and we turned around, and we said, you know, no, sweetie, right? Well, we're not there yet. It's going to take a little while, right? You want to know how many times I was asked that question? You want to know how many times I was asked that question before we got out of the state of Indiana, right? It, eventually, the responses didn't start with no sweetie anymore, right? They, they started sounding something like this. Well, we will get there when we get there, right? Or I'll, I will tell you when we're getting close. Stop asking, right? The, the responses started changing and looking a little bit different. Here's the problem, and you know this. The problem was the kids didn't have the same perspective as we did, right? They, they only thought about the here and the now and being stuck in that car seat. But when you're able to have a bigger perspective, when, when you are able to understand the map, right, and, and what is ahead, your attitude is different because your perspective is different. This is what Paul is talking about. This is what he means. He's focused on the prize to one day be with Christ. That was the prize. That was the goal. And because of that eternal perspective, he wasn't bothered by all the other things in his life that were going against him. And this is what all of us, we've got to develop, especially as we head into a new year. We, we have to have a different perspective. We've got to start having this eternal perspective. Don't you think that would help you have a better year if you just had a, a, a more eternal perspective that you wouldn't be bothered by all the things around you that don't matter as much as the prize you are chasing? Friends, listen. 2021 is probably going to be a better year than 2020 for you. Probably. I hope it is, right? But that doesn't mean that everything is going to go your way. You're still going to have setbacks. You're still going to have things uh, that, that don't go your way. You're still going to have maybe some heartbreak, maybe something even worse. I don't know what is ahead for you. But listen, don't let any of that make you lose your focus on the person and the prize that is ahead of you. Acts chapter 27, Paul was in the midst of a shipwreck and a storm that was threatening his life and all the people that were on board with him. He was a prisoner and they were in the middle of the sea and they were in this two-week storm. I mean, it was bad. The crew was throwing things overboard. They were throwing cargo and tackle and, and supplies. They were just throwing it overboard trying to survive. People were starving. It was a bad situation. Paul almost unbothered by it. He tells them to calm down. He tells all these men to calm down and that th their lives would be spared, that they need to stop and chill out and 
eat something, regain their strength. Why? How does, how does Paul, in the midst of a situation where everyone is losing their minds around them, they're fearing for their lives, how does he have such calmness about him? He knew what was ahead of him. God had already told him that he would be before Caesar. And Paul knew that this wasn't the end of his story, but even if it was, he was off to something better. That's why Daniel's three friends could stand before a fiery furnace and the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar would ask them to worship him and they would say, no, we're not going to. The God that we serve can save us from that fire. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship you. Courage, bravery, why? Because they had an eternal perspective. Each of them had this eternal perspective. And when we develop this, when we develop this, we become dangerous disciples of Jesus. When we recognize the prize and the goal that we're focused on. Here's the last thing I want you to see and focus on from our text. Paul encourages us, he encourages us to be focused on people. So, so far in our text, Paul has spoke about his life, right? He says, I want to know Christ. And I press on, right? He, he talks about himself and his desires and, and his experience from his life. But then at the end of this passage, he changes tune. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul changes the verbiage. He's, he changes it from me to we. He starts talking about us and he starts talking about them and what they should do. Paul's focus in life was also on other people. The spiritual development and discipleship of others was at the forefront of his ministry right next to evangelism. He encourages the believers to, to live this way. And one of the things I think that we can all agree on is that Jesus wants us to live a life that's focused on other people more than ourselves. We looked at this uh, several weeks ago as we talked about humility in Philippians 2.4 says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You see, in addition to focusing on Christ and what is ahead of us in in our future, in this life, right now, we must also turn our focus to other people. We have to be the type of people that are focused on more than just ourselves, but also about the betterment of other people, right? So we know that Paul meant what he said because he lived it out. Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, they find themselves in a city of Antioch. Now, they had preached Christ in the synagogue and they won some Jews over and they also won some Gentiles over to the faith. But the leading Jews of this city in Antioch started raising persecution, right? They didn't like what was happening and they raised this persecution against them. They drove them out of Antioch. They kicked them out of the city and they said, don't come back here. They expelled them. That was Antioch. Acts chapter 14, immediately they head to the city of Iconium. Now, that's about 90 miles away. They again, they go into the synagogue, they preach about Christ, and they win some Jews and some Gentiles over. But the city, the city was divided. They didn't know what to believe. They didn't know who was right because the Jews were telling them, don't believe this. And they're talking about a resurrected Jesus. The city was divided. And the religious leaders at Iconium, 
uh, started raising a fuss and they formed this plan to mistreat and to stone Paul. Paul and Barnabas find, about, find out about this plan and they leave. Now, they immediately head to Lystra. That's about 19 miles away. Okay, so they're on this journey. Paul was speaking about Jesus in front of a crowd and he saw a crippled man. Someone who had been crippled from their youth. And Paul, having some compassion, heals him. The crowd, when they see this, they go nuts. It goes into a frenzy and everybody's wondering how this man, how Paul could heal this man, right? Who was Paul? What was he? And so the craziest thing happened. They started worshiping Paul and Barnabas, right? They, they thought they were gods. They, they started calling them Zeus and Hermes and the crowd's going nuts. And Paul's trying to shush him away, right? He's like, listen, don't, don't do this. We are, we are just men, just like all of you. Don't, don't do this. Don't worship us, right? And so here's what happens in this moment. Acts chapter 14, verse 19 says this. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. They dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Okay, so now those agitators from 20 to 90 miles away show up. They start messing with the crowd enough that they start throwing rocks at Paul enough, enough that they thought he was dead. They drag him outside the city thinking it is over. But what happens next? What happens next is one of the most underrated verses in all of Scripture. What happens next defines the heart and the ministry of Paul. What happens next is how Paul lived out this idea of focusing on others. Acts chapter 14, verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. (laughs) Do you see how you could just read over that? If you're just reading the story, you just read through your Bible and you just, it's one sentence. It's one sentence, but, but think of what it communicates. Paul, moments removed from being stoned to a visual death. I mean, just, they, they think they've killed him, right? They think they've killed him and they drag his body outside the city. Moments removed from that. He gets up, he walks back into the city. It gets better too. He heads to Derby, and then here's what we read next in verse 21. They, Paul and Barnabas, preached the gospel in that city in Derby, and they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. He goes where? He goes back to Lystra, the place that just tried to kill him. He goes back to Iconium, the place that had a plan to kill him. He goes back to Antioch, the place that said, don't preach about Jesus, don't ever come back here again. Why? Why does Paul do this? Why does Paul return to all the places that tried to kill him, that had a plan to kill him, that said, we don't ever want to see you again? Why does he go back? Because he was focused on people, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. That was his ministry. That was his focus. Nothing was going to stop him. Nothing was going to prevent him. Nothing was going to hush him from doing what he was called to do. And church, I can't help but to think that we have to begin to be the type of people that are focused on people so much that we do whatever needs to be done to strengthen, 
to encourage each other in our faith and to teach the good news about Jesus to the people that need to hear it. So here's what I want to challenge you to do in this section. Who can be one person you focus on to start this year? It could be anybody. It could be, it could be someone who needs to know Jesus, and we got a whole one-life strategy that we can help you with here at the church. But it could also be someone who knows Jesus but just needs a little help in their faith, a little encouragement. Who could be one person? Pick someone. Pick someone and focus on building them up this year, to start this year. Focus on others. Don't let anything stop you from that. It's easy to miss what you're not looking for, right? That's why it's so important for all of us to be focused on the right things. I want to challenge you with this. Be focused on Christ, first and foremost. The most important thing, focus on Christ. Remember and focus on your eternity. And in this life, turn your focus to other people, strengthening and encouraging people in their faith. It, the best part about this is if we all do this, if, if, if each of us do this, our focus becomes united. And we become a church that's primarily, primarily focused on Jesus in every aspect of our lives. And church, when we do this, when we do this, it could change everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for how you love us and what you have done for us. We are excited to head into a new year, uh, maybe a fresh start. And I pray, Lord, that, that the focus of our lives would primarily be on you. The things that we think about, the, the things that we care about, we, we turn our attention and our focus to you first. Help us to do something strategically in our lives, to focus more on you. Lord, help us to remember our eternity. Help us to remember what you have for us. And God, help us not to be only focused on ourselves, but to help those around us. That's my prayer, is that you would focus ourselves on you and your mission. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done for us to give us an opportunity to spend an eternity with you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.